Hi, and welcome to Be Mused, a storytelling project and podcast. I'm your host, B, and as you might know by now, I love a story, and that's just what I have for you today. I was really late for work about a month ago for absolutely no good reason. It was a Wednesday at 9.30 a.m., and I was waiting on the platform for a Manhattan-bound R train an hour later than I should have been. The train finally pulled slowly into the station, and I got on. There were several seats available on what is typically a pretty crowded train car, but I decided to stand. I'd be getting off soon anyway. At the next stop, an older black man stepped onto the train car. He had salt and pepper colored hair and beard, and he honestly could have been anywhere from 40 to 78 years old. You know how that is. I had a book bag on, headphones plugged in, and yet, standing across the train car from me, I could feel him staring. I didn't try to make eye contact. In fact, I was actively trying to avoid it. But at some point, my curiosity got the best of me, and I looked up. Of course, he caught my eye. I looked away, but not quickly enough. When I looked up again... The gentleman, who we're now going to have to name Ben, had walked across the train car and was standing directly in front of me, saying something that I couldn't quite make out over the noise of my headphones. I didn't remove my headphones because I didn't want Ben to get the idea that I was welcoming this interaction, but I did lower the volume in a dramatic, this is a total inconvenience to me, but I'm going to let you finish kind of way. He waited for me to finish and, completely unfazed, leaned in and repeated his question. I said, how would you feel if I brought the Panthers back to the neighborhood? The Panthers? Yes. The Panthers? As in the Black Panthers? Hold on, you you do know who the Black Panthers are, don't you? At this point, I honestly couldn't decide whether it was best to plead ignorance and claim not to know who or what the Black Panthers were, or to simply nod along and agree. Sure, Ben, bring the Black Panthers back. I sized the guy up as we approached the next stop. When it's cold out, everyone looks equally bummy, so it's difficult to tell whether Ben was homeless or just really bundled up. His fingernails seemed clean, but... By the looks of the ash on his knuckles and dryness in between the fingers, something told me he was not living his best life. I chose ignorance. You don't know who the Panthers are? What are they teaching you guys in school? Obviously, I had chosen wrong. Astonished, Ben looked at me as if he was coming to the realization that I wasn't living my best life, no matter how moisturized my hands were. I figured it probably wasn't a good time to tell him I actually wasn't a student and he was just mistaken. Before he could press me further on the history of America's civil rights movement, I shrugged and told him my family was Haitian to suggest that his American history was not my own and fully escape this conversation. Except that, of course, didn't work. Without missing a beat, this all-knowing man rattled off the founding fathers of Haiti, reminding me that I was a descendant of the first black nation to take back our independence from the Anglo man. 
I mean, he was, right? But on this train car full of now staring so-called Anglo people, it felt like a moot point. I still couldn't tell if Ben was brilliant or insane or both, but at the very least, he didn't seem to be a threat. At least, not at the moment. I was getting off at the next stop anyway. I kept an eye on his hands. The train stopped at Atlantic Avenue Station, and I stepped off the train to catch a connecting one across the platform. Ben walked out as well and continued talking to me about how we had to take back our land from the white man. But I stopped short of the exit, because I was remaining on the platform for an express train that would be coming any minute now. Ben decided to wait too. Brilliant or insane or not, I now decided that he was at the very worst a threat, and at the very least, making me kind of uncomfortable. As the two of us stood on the platform and I waited for the next train, I prayed that he would remember how much he had to do that day and decide to leave me alone. He didn't. An end train came, and following my lead, Ben did not get on. When a D train came shortly after, he of course followed me onto my train car. Survival skills kicked in, and I decided I needed to figure out a way to shake him without making myself even more late for work than I already was. Maybe I could get off a stop early and just take a cab. While I plotted my escape, he continued on, and because we were the only two black people on a mostly empty train car, everyone else assumed we were together. At least, that's what my subconscious told me. I took a step back. A very literal step back. I don't actually mean for Ben to come off as being crazier than he really was, because the only gaps in his story were those that exist in my memory of it. He was up on current events, well-versed in history, and floated eloquently from topic to topic. He was just also following me to work, so my perception of him was reasonably clouded by this fact. Was it my natural hair all picked out that had led him to believe that I cared about all this history on a Wednesday morning? Was it the .00008 seconds of eye contact? Had I forgotten to look pissed off for just a moment too long? I could get off at West 4th Street and walk into any random NYU building. I could take the train a few stops into the city and then fake like I forgot my wallet at home. No, that probably wouldn't be believable. And also, I was already so late. Is he getting louder? Are people staring? Ben continued on about being black in America and eventually suggested that we needed some ownership because ownership was true freedom. He said that he had had a taste of what this could look like once upon a time. Then, Ben told me that in 1991, he and a group of other black people bought a plot of land in Eatonville, Georgia, where they created their own Egyptian-style community. The community had its own name, hieroglyphic-style language, and even its own flag. He said this with a sense of pride, and for a brief moment, I realized exactly who this was. I had seen this man, or at least a version of this man before. He was a black man who'd grown so tired of being belittled by society or made to feel less than simply because of the color of his skin. But so much so 
that he had bought into a narrative sold to his broken ego years ago that had religious undertones and loosely connected ties to the history of ancient Egyptians. The train stalled on the bridge. Of course the train stalled on the bridge. Taking a break from my plotting of an escape, I finally made eye contact. It went against everything I'd ever been taught about not talking to strangers, and I was fully convinced that everyone on the train now thought that Ben and I were plotting against the white man together. But I couldn't help but listen. Because even though I was now almost positive that Ben was homeless, one, he wasn't going away, and two, I saw that something inside of him seemed to be longing for camaraderie and belonging more than he was looking to harm anyone or cause any trouble. It's just that in Ben's case, when the surrounding community rejected him, he and this group of people decided they would just do their own thing. According to Ben, when the group moved down to Georgia in the 1990s, their community was thriving. They had their own schools, stores, homes, and existed as a nation, completely separate as an entity within the state of Georgia. Ben claimed, that it wasn't until the surrounding community noticed their success that the government finally came in and burned down the Nuwabian property, arresting their founder and displacing everyone. The conductor mentioned something about signal delays as Ben continued on. So often is the case that the actual truth matters less than the perception of that truth. So I was intrigued to hear how an intelligent man like Ben had ended up uprooting his life, moving to Georgia to try to build a country losing all of his worldly possessions, and was now spending his days riding the subway while everyone else in New York City was at work. Ben said the leader of the Nuwapian group was also accused of child molestation, but that DNA results came back and were inconclusive, and that there was no hard proof that existed. According to Ben, the nation had been largely a success barring the simple fact that they'd failed to institute a military and defend themselves from the white man, which is why he was now so focused on bringing the Black Panthers back to the neighborhood. Ben thought that was the change they needed, the change that we, as a people, needed. I stopped blinking somewhere after child molestation, but I was trying to play it cool. After all, I still needed a non-confrontational exit. Canal Street Station, next stop, Broadway Lafayette. As my stop slowly approached and Ben's story came to a close, I thought I heard a hint of despair in his voice, but it was quickly trumped by satisfaction in knowing that he had opened my eyes to his truth. I arrived to my office an hour later than I planned to, and obviously spent the first few minutes of my day checking everything that I had just heard. There was, in fact, a group of people named the Nuwapians who'd started an Egyptian-style nation in Georgia, and they had created their own language and flag. However, two minutes on the official website was enough to confirm that Ben had been a part of a cult. The page jumped from Egypt to UFOs to imaginary planet that the founder was claiming to be from, to a letter to President Obama, and I quickly felt my head spinning. Two additional minutes spent on Wikipedia... And I learned this, that Ben's founder, messiah, leader, and con man, to be quite frank, Dr. York, was arrested in 2003, pleading guilty to child sexual abuse after being indicted on 197 counts of child molestation, including charges of sex trafficking of minors across state lines. 
He was imprisoned and convicted to a 135-year sentence for transporting minors across state lines in the course of sexually molesting them, racketeering, and financial reporting charges. York's case was reported as the largest prosecution for child molestation ever directed at a single person in the history of United States, both in terms of number of victims and the number of incidents. I have still not decided whether Ben was mentally unstable or simply just a broken man that was taken advantage of. But he did seem to sincerely believe what he was saying. So I had sincerely listened. I've realized over the years that listening is often the greatest gift that we have to those around us. So I did what I could to play my part. I shook his hand, and I thanked Ben for sharing his truth as we parted ways peacefully. I also decided that morning that the next time I'm an hour late for work, I'm definitely calling an Uber. Here on Bemused, each episode is an invitation to see the world from a perspective other than your own, which is, in fact, a gift. I am always on the prowl for new and interesting perspectives, so if you have a story to tell me, email shareyourstory at bemused.com and I will contact you. Episodes are thoughtfully prepared and mixed to taste for your consumption. Special thanks to Ben and the Nuwapian people for the sourdough and to the MTA for the time. Whether you choose to indulge while on the job, pair it with your favorite ice brew on your morning commute, or fall asleep to the sounds of my ramblings, I just ask that you do so responsibly, always with a friend. And thank you, listener, for lending me your ear.